Okay, I'm with Andrea Davis, the Interim Executive Director for HAND, the Hamilton County Housing Nonprofit Organization. Uh, Andrea, welcome back. Good to have you back on the podcast. Uh, happy to be here, Larry. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, and we, we've uh, talked before many times and uh, uh, about housing and before that. So just I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, HAND began under another name back in 2000. It's kind of grown to what it is today, slowly and surely. So uh, it, it has quite a history. We may talk more about that later. But I really want to talk about the, the issue at hand for all of us. How have the health and economic impacts of COVID-19 impacted the work uh, that you and your agency are doing? Well, I think like most folks, um, it slowed down the, the work we're doing on um, developing additional affordable housing options um you know thing we've had some some regulatory meetings that were, have been delayed or canceled because of the stay-at-home orders and the limits on uh, public gatherings that sort of thing so in terms of the work we're doing um you know to kind of address the shortage of affordable housing in hamilton county it's definitely slowed it down I think one of the things that's also done is is made us and, and many others aware of how important affordable housing really is because, you know, ironically, our our residents who are, you know, low income, um, have limited resources, are probably in a better situation than many other uh, residents in Hamilton County in dealing with this crisis because their rents are low um, because we are able to, um, you know, get the the, the government financing to construct our properties we're we're able to uh, keep the rents low and as a result they're not experiencing as much problems as maybe some folks who are paying market rate rents are Um, so yeah that's the kind of the good news yeah and that's interesting you mentioned that because i have talked to the last two or three weeks with people involved in in local social service agencies and you know they they uh, I asked them about this this move by the government to keep people from being foreclosed upon or you know thrown out of their apartment or whatever evicted and mm-hmm. and uh, and there's been a forbearance of rent and and their message to me is well yeah it can be good but it can be bad because uh this is not a forgiveness of debt it's simply uh putting it off and once this exactly thing, yeah, once this grace period is over, it's all going to be, you know, due at the same time. So uh, they work with their clients to try to make sure they can pay the rent currently if they possibly can. But that's an interesting Absolutely. interesting angle you have. You, I, I seem, you seem to agree with that. But uh, you're saying that your, your customers and, and your housing projects actually are a little more stable than people who now uh, find themselves in more expensive housing and, and suddenly unable to afford it. Absolutely. Our, our housing is designed, um, you know, it's priced in a way that our residents do not pay more than 30% of their household income on rent. That's kind of um, universally seen as a, a reasonable threshold. Um, when, when folks who work in housing talk about affordable housing, that's what they're talking about is housing that someone can afford um, with no more than 30% of their income. And so our, our residents are set up for success there. And then additionally, the demographic of, of our residents, and particularly in Hamilton County, um, almost 
all but 16 of our units in Hamilton County are actually restricted to seniors um, age 55 and older. And so many of those don't, you know, don't have jobs that have been impacted by COVID. They're relying on their retirement savings and, and Social Security and that sort of thing. So, though, you know, the retirement savings may have been impacted, but um, Social Security, at least so far, hasn't been affected by this. So their income isn't changing and their rents are more affordable. But we are concerned about what's going to happen to these folks who you know, haven't had to worry about getting evicted and so maybe haven't prioritized paying rent um, in, in market rate or even other affordable properties. Um, there's a there's a state moratorium, as you mentioned, um, on evictions and foreclosures that expires June 4th. And then there's also a federal moratorium that goes um, to the end of, not all the way through July, but I wanna say like the 26th of July that essentially does the same thing for rental um, properties that were funded using federal funds or mortgages that are federally backed. So um, so that's, I mean, it's great news for residents because you know the last thing you wanna worry about in a situation like we're in now is, am I gonna have a place to live? You know, Am I gonna get evicted if I can't pay my rent? And there are certainly folks who can't, just simply can't pay their rent because their income has been so impacted. But we are definitely advising anyone who has the capacity to pay even some of their rent to continue paying, to reach out to your landlord and, and make arrangements for a payment plan because um, the last thing we wanna see is when these moratoriums end, people three, four, three and four months behind on rent and and no better financial position when it comes to catching up on those bills. So we're expecting, you know, we haven't heard a lot of, of housing crisis um, stories yet because of the moratoriums, but we think that that will change uh, late summer and fall. Yeah, I think a lot of this will be a lot of the economic impacts of what we're beginning to see with all the unemployment figures uh, will be a delayed sort of thing when it really sinks in and people have to deal with it. Interestingly Absolutely. enough, uh, there is an article that was posted at the Indianapolis Star website this morning. It was written by reporter John Tui, and it's about the Real America Affordable Apartment Housing Project in Fishers. Now, are, I'm, are you involved in that? Is Hand involved in that project? We are not. Um, we were aware that, that they were um, pursuing that. Real America actually um, got some some tax credit financing to pay for that, which is a, a very uh, beneficial program. It's administered by the state, but um, r- kind of runs through the IRS where um, developers are awarded a certain uh, number of tax credits that they can then sell to investors so that they can generate cash for their um, developments. And then the, the investors get the tax break. Um, so they had applied for that at least three times that I know of, and then they finally got it last year, which was great news um, for all of Hamilton County, really, because it's very difficult to get a tax credit credit project funded up here. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I was, you know, you took most of my questions away. I was going <laughs> to ask about <laughs> all of that, but I'll, I'll put another angle on it because uh, Reporter Tui does a lot of the uh, background about the sorts of people who will be able to take advantage of this apartment project in Fishers, even though you're not involved with it, you're very familiar with the process. And I, I know Real America is a company you've worked with before. But uh, I think the real issue here, and, and you've been very kind to you allowed me to come to some of your seminars and meetings, and I've I've learned a lot about housing just going there. And uh, what I find interesting is that most communities feel that they are at a crisis point 
when people who are working in their community that are teachers, that are police officers, other civil servants, are unable to live in the community they serve. And I think uh, that gets the attention of mayors and, and town and city councils when that happens, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I think I don't think anyone can argue with the fact that when folks who work in our community can live in our community, we're all better for it. You know, when the, the folks at the dry cleaners and the Starbucks and, and McDonald's are invested in the communities where they work, you know, they might take that, go the extra mile when they're walking through the parking lot and see trash blowing through it, you know, that sort of thing. Not to mention the fact that when they do their grocery shopping and they, you know, go to restaurants on the weekends or whatever, they will be doing it in our community, which, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? So um, the other issue I think we have when um, workers can't live in the community where they work is transportation. You know, a lot of the reasons that people live in Indianapolis and work in Hamilton County or, or live in Madison County and work in Hamilton County is the cost of housing. And, um, you know, oftentimes folks who are struggling with the, the price of housing aren't driving, you know, brand new, you know, $40,000 ve- vehicles either. So, um, you know, what happens is they, their commute is much longer and and it's not like working in Hamilton County pays much better than, than living anywhere else and then working anywhere else. So you have folks who maybe are driving in from Anderson and, you know, for a $15 an hour job and they pass how many other places closer to their home that they could work for $15 an hour. Sooner or later, they're going to say, Hey, I'm going to save on gas money and, and, you know, work at the Starbucks down the street instead of driving into Fishers to work at their Starbucks. And now, you know, then that's an expense for, the coffee shop in Fishers who, who has to now replace that employee or their car breaks down and um, they can't get to work and they miss a shift. And, and so there are lots of implications of, of not having workers live in the communities and I, in the communities where they work. And as the suburbs have become more focused on economic development and not just on residential development, I think um, the, the leaders are starting to really realize how important it is to have that mix of housing options for folks, not just in all parts of the economic um, scale, but also all parts of your life, right? I mean, there's a time when you graduate from college and you're maybe not ready to buy your first house yet, but you want to be in a community, you know, that you're familiar with. And quite frankly, you know, if, if new college graduates earning, you know, anywhere close to what I made when I graduated from college, move to Hamilton County, it's very difficult to find a place to live, you know, even a rental that would allow them to save for, for homes. And then there's a time, you know, when you're a senior and you've, you've had your home and you don't really want the responsibility of caring for it anymore. The star wrote several stories last year. Um, One was focused on Carmel, I think. And then one was on um, maybe Greenwood or Southport. But the fact that empty nesters were having difficulty selling their homes and finding another place to live in the community where they had raised their families because empty nester homes, you know, much smaller footprint, you know, maintenance included, that sort of thing were more expensive than the 3000 square foot homes on half acres that they're selling. So, you know, a healthy community really has a range of housing options for people at all cycles of their life and at all points in their earning, uh, earning life as well. Yeah, and that's interesting that Fishers, if you look at the way Fishers is beginning to develop and already has developed, you've got 
what used to be called the Yard Fisher's District or restaurant area. I mean, there's other services too. And you've got a hotel going in and you've got uh, a hotel going in uh, right across from City Hall. There'll be a bank headquarters, but there'll be other service related industries there. So if you look at the, the, uh, the labor demands for those industries, uh, housing is an important ingredient, is it not? Absolutely. Very, very much so. There's a, a group of folks in Hamilton County looking at how to address our workforce issues. Um, we're, we were designated a 21st century talent region by the state last year because of the, the job growth that we're seeing here and, and, and is projected to continue. Um, you know, how are we going to provide the, the workforce that these employers need? And, and two of the top issues that, that rose to the top of that conversation, in addition to the obvious things like, you know, internships and, and um, you know, the, the educational component of what we can do to better prepare our students for, um, to fill these jobs, the, the two sort of non-educational things that rose to the top were housing and transportation. If people can't afford to live here, they may not want to work here. And same token, if they can't get here easily, you know, they may choose a job somewhere else. So I think housing and transportation are very much part of the economic development picture for any community and, and especially ones that border areas that are a little more uh, affordable. And I think the reason housing is kind of risen to the top is because whether you think it's a good or a bad idea, in this area, there have been all sorts of proposals, but we don't really have anything in the pipeline transportation-wise, do we? Right. It's going to take some time, yeah. The, yeah. Neither housing or transportation are, are issues that can be solved overnight. Um, you know, as you pointed out, HAND has been around for, you know, um, it, the, the conversation that led to HAND being created started in, in 2000, so that's 20 years, right? Right, um, exactly, yeah. And, and we... We have in Hamilton County, I believe, 96 units, um, rental units. So, and we've been working on it for 17 years. We um, actually were incorporated in 2003. But, you know, it takes time. You have to find the property. You have to line up the financing. It's not as simple as it is to, you know, find a house that you like and buy it. It's, it's, uh, it's a heavy lift. But luckily we have, you know, folks working on it and and i think we're starting to see the conversation turn where folks are starting to realize you know this is really important to our collective future so yeah and i want to go and part of that ingredient of that heavy lifting are those tax credits that you mentioned earlier and i just want you to go a little more into that because as I understand it, the state of Indiana is given so many credits or sets of credits, and people all around the state apply, and you may apply several times. And in the Fishers Project that I mentioned, and there are others that you dealt with, sometimes you have to apply year after year until you finally Absolutely. get the approval because you are competing with other projects around the state. Talk a little bit about how important that ingredient is and how, and the process you have to use to, uh, to get those credits. Sure. Um, it is a, a very competitive program. Um, basically, how it works is the federal government um, identifies a number of credits that they're going to give each state based on population. And then the state determines how it's going to um, allocate that money. And they go through a process every other year, I think, um, they put out something called the QAP which is qualified something, I don't know, 
I, I, if I had known you were going to ask about that, I would have looked it up. But well, that's okay. We, we guidelines yeah. for um, what the priorities are for spending the money, and then that sets up an application process that's, as I said, highly competitive and scored. So you may get points for things like um, proximity to amenities. Um, you know, they you get more points the closer you are to things like a grocery store and healthcare facility and trails. Um, transportation, you know, public transportation, which obviously Hamilton County does not uh, score well in that area because we don't have a regularly scheduled public transportation. Um, you know, points for the, the property that you're proposing to use. I mean, you have to actually identify the property and plan the project, and then you, and you use that um, in your application. So you have to have the land under control. It can't just be like, hey, we're going to somewhere in Hamilton County, we want to build an apartment building. You have to identify where it's going to be, how many units it's going to be, um, you know, who you're going to serve. Um, most of the housing programs in Indiana um, require residents to, be, to earn no more than 60% of area median income. I think the tax credit limit actually may be a little bit higher because they're trying to encourage some um, workforce housing, which is what Real America is doing in, in Fishers. But it's a complicated formula that you go through, and it takes months to put together a proposal. Um, Hand last applied in 2016. Um, it was actually our second application for a project we wanted to do in Noblesville on the side of the old grain mill. And the first year we applied, um, we were runner we missed point the state goes through so they go through this process of scoring the applications and then they have different buckets there's a bucket for um, small town development and a bucket for senior housing and a bucket for not-for-profit developers um, you know so it just kind of depends on which bucket you're you're competing in but um, there were I want to say 64 applications and 16 were funded in the last year we applied. Wow. That's amazing. You know, I, I and you did uh, cut out just a little bit there, you know, this whole zoom and Skype and all this is still <laughs> new. You know, I, I used to, when I started doing these podcasts, I never, ever did one on the phone, never did one using this yeah. technology, always wanted to be in person. Well, I had to change all that. And I've <laughs> learned more about zoom and Skype than I ever want to know. And I'm still, right. I, and I'm, I'm still learning how to, how to use all the technology. And by the way, do not ever feel bad about forgetting an acronym. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> There's so many government acronyms, and I worked for the federal government for 28 years, so I've still yeah, got yeah. acronyms in my head that will never leave me. So, no, don't feel right. bad about that. But it's it's a process, and I just wanted to give people a feel that uh, yeah. you just don't uh, send a piece of paper in or, a, or a, com you know, a, a computer document and say, okay, just wait and see. There's a tremendous right. amount of work that goes into any of those uh, applications uh, and it's competitive. Like you said, oh, you have to make sure, so you have enough of a, uh, you made your case. So if you have a, a, a story to tell, you stole it, you sold that, that story to the people who need to know. And it, yeah, it's, it's usually not the first year and you have, you have to come in several times. Now but I that's know the additional challenge because, yes. you know, like in our case, we didn't have the money to just outright buy this property. And so we had to find, you know, we, relied on the fact that the owner was willing to tie this property up and not sell it to anybody else for two years while we went through this process. And then we ended up not getting the funding. 
Yeah. So, you know, that's that's kind of where the difference is between a for-profit developer and a non-profit developer. You know, for-profit developers frequently have assets available that they can use to buy property and and speculate, you know, and if it doesn't if it doesn't work for this project and we're going to try again and again and again, but you know, if if the third time's not the charm, then you know, they have that flexibility whereas we have to you know, really find a kind-hearted property owner who's willing, who gets it enough to be willing to to kind of pass on the immediate profit in, in hopes of a longer-term payoff. So it definitely takes a village of many different uh, people to get that done, to be sure. Uh, I know your agency has, uh, and just more, you know, agency might not be the right word. You're a nonprofit. You're independent. But uh, you have a number of projects you've already done throughout Hamilton County. Talk about what you are proud of as an organization that's already there or maybe is sure. in the works right now. Yeah. Um, our, our most recent um, development is is probably the one I'm the most proud of simply because it, it's been the only one we've done since I joined the organization. But in 2018, we opened um, what we call Home Place Gardens, which is a 10-unit rental community in Carmel. It's um, on on 106th Street, kind of between 106th and 105th Street, between the Monon and College Avenue. And um, this is our is also our first multi generational development. Um, Hand started out building um, rental communities for seniors, because there is a great need for that. As as you know, folks on who are living on Social Security really cannot afford to live in Hamilton County. I mean, those folks are making twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a year. You can, you know, most apartments around here would be difficult to rent for that hundred percent of your social exactly. security. I agree. Yeah. Um, so our first several developments, we have um, we have a large development in Sheridan with sixty units that we developed in three phases. Um, we and then the rest of ours are all ten, eleven units or less. Um, but they're they're mostly for seniors and and home place gardens was the first that we said let's include um some senior housing here but let's also kind of intentionally include some housing for families um because we found that our seniors really kind of um enjoy having interaction with the outside world and and seeing young families um you know, kind of out and about. So we didn't want to seclude them. So we put two single family homes for um, families who are referred to us by Prevail in the middle of the senior development in Carmel. And it's really worked out well. Um, you know, the friendships that are being being created and, you know, these kind of adopted grandparents and, and adopted uh, children and grandchildren is really kind of neat to see that. So that's personally my favorite, but um, or that I'm most proud of. But I think generally hand does a really good job of not, you know, kind of going into a, a neighborhood and, and, um, plopping down, you know, there's, there are a lot of, of misperceptions about what affordable housing is. And, and one of the common ones is, you know, we're, we're going to come into your neighborhood and we're going to put like, you know, a Fisher's version of Caprini green in your neighborhood. And, the reality is we're very cognizant of the neighborhoods we're going into. We try very hard to, to be contextually sensitive so that we are, you can't point to our properties and go, Oh, that must be the low income housing. Um, in addition to our development in Carmel, which, you know, we're super proud of, we have um, nine units in the Pebblebrook golf course community in Noblesville. Um, quite frankly, the first time I tried to find those on my own, I'd, was driving around the market rate apartments. I'm like, these must be ours because they don't look that great. But 
um, you know, sure enough, ours, our units were, I, you couldn't have picked them out of a, a lineup really. They blended so well with the neighborhood. So that's, that's the thing, you know, that I hope more people realize is we're not coming in here to destroy your neighborhood and property values. You know, we're just trying to provide an affordable option for folks and try to fit in as best we can. And one thing I've learned about your organization and, and, and companies like Real America and others that you have worked with in the past is that they are very cognizant not just about building something that would look fit into the neighborhood and look good, but you uh, are very, very concerned about making sure that it's kept up to date and it's it's looking good and, you know, it, it's maintained in a way that it would still fit into that neighborhood. And I think a lot of people always worry about that. And I think you, with your uh, your projects at hand, can be very proud of everything I have heard of. So, yeah, I think that you are making a good point here. And uh, have you had much pushback when you try to, to put these housing projects in? Or, or do people understand it will fit into the neighborhood? I'm sure you've had it both ways. Yeah. I mean, we typically do. You know, people, people are are concerned about things about the unknown, you know, change is difficult. And, um, we do expect some pushback anytime we propose a, a project and, and we haven't been disappointed there yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we, we try, you know, because of the way the, the whole, you know, putting the project together and getting the funding works, we don't really, we don't do a lot of communication with, neighborhoods before the funding is approved because it is so competitive it's like why you know stir the hornet's nest if if the funding isn't approved then we've you know we've done this for naught so we tend not to initiate the conversations until the funding is approved um, but we try to have you know conversations with the neighbors about what our plans are we share our you know renderings and that sort of thing with the neighbors and, and take their feedback as we make revisions to the plans we did that in carmel we had a couple meetings with the neighbors in home place and and they did have some feedback about our some of our architectural uh, finishes that we upgraded as a result of those conversations and um, we actually have a proposal right now pending in the city of tipton um just over the county line up north of atlanta um, we had a neighborhood, we had a couple neighborhood meetings with the neighbors there. And the first one, they said they really didn't like where we had the parking. We, we want to build nine units and, and we had the parking sort of in driveways in front of the units. And they said, you know what? And it's not a cul-de-sac. So they said, we don't want to look out our window and, and see parking. So we moved the parking area, um, kind of behind and, and between the, the units. So, you know, we try really hard to, to be good neighbors and you know, your point about the maintenance, I, I try to make that when I talk with neighbors who are concerned about that, you think about your neighborhood, you know, if you live in a neighborhood that the neighborhood association doesn't maintain, you know, I've, I've got a, a neighbor who, at least before pre-COVID, you know, worked 80 hours a week. And, and there were many weeks that his grass didn't get cut. And we just knew, you know, oh, that's Bill, you know, he's working too hard again, you know, his, his kid will get around to doing it eventually. Well, you know, you don't have that problem in our properties because there's someone whose job it is is to go mow all the property. So, you know, in some ways, having an institutional owner is is more um, reliable than relying on your neighbors to, you know, have time to cut the grass when you know, hey, yeah, every third Thursday the mowing crew is going to turn up and take care of things. 
you know, you uh, as a nonprofit, independent nonprofit, you have sponsors who support you, and you have individuals who support you, but you also have fundraising events. And I went yeah. back and I went back and looked, and I saw that you had a fundraising event. I think it was late last year, which would definitely be apropos in today's world. It was a stay-at-home fundraiser. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's be- our signature <laughs> fundraising event. We we started it actually in 2017, so we're way ahead of the game. Um, but the idea is basically, you know, we didn't feel like it made sense to get people out of their homes to come, um, you know, to a hotel or a reception hall or whatever and, and um, you know, celebrate what we were doing. It made a lot more sense to let them stay home and enjoy the very thing that we're trying to provide to folks who don't have that comfort, you know, who don't know, am I still going to have a roof over my head next week? You know, that's, that's our goal is to, to address that housing instability. And we thought what better way of doing that than to encourage folks to stay home. So we're planning to repeat that again this year. Um, Probably have to make some adjustments because we have had a silent auction that has been a pretty um, large component of that. And with the, the state that the business community is in right now, we, we don't think we really want to even ask for donations to that, but, um, but yeah, fundraising events are a big part of any nonprofit, and and we feel like at least before the COVID thing, that was different enough. It got folks' attention. Now everyone's doing virtual events. So. Right. Uh, well, Andre, when you and I talk, uh, th- time goes fast, so we're about out of time. Anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Actually, I do. Um, I actually have some news to share with you. It was just announced today that um, HAND will be receiving a $150,000 grant from the United Way's uh, COVID-19 response fund. Um, that was funded through a variety of sources, including the Lilly Endowment. And we uh, made an application to get this funding to help with rental assistance. We talked earlier about um, when the moratoriums on evictions end, you know, that's going to leave a lot of folks in a bad situation. And so we're going, we're going to, and the details are still being worked out, but we're going to collaborate with the township trustees throughout Hamilton County. And when they have um, folks who are coming to them for help with their housing, um, they're going to help to the extent that they can help. And then if, if there's still more help that's needed, they're going to make referrals to us. So they will take care of, you know, the kind of investigative <clears throat> portion of, of these assistance request and, and we'll handle the disbursement of funds so well, that's great news and uh, i'm sure yeah. you'll you'll spend that money wisely i've already talked to both of our township trustees here in fishers or delaware and fall creek and i know that the way they do things is they depend greatly on on other uh, organizations government and non-governmental or in the area Absolutely. to try to help people and who and that's their job is when people uh, it's it's a poor relief job when people are in tough times they go to the trustees and one of their their, their biggest assets are community organizations like yours. So it's great to hear you got the funding, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it later. So, so thanks for that good news. I appreciate it. Well, Andrea, thanks so much uh, for joining me. I'm trying to uh, highlight as many uh, nonprofits as I can as we're in these tough times. I know you're doing your part in your organization, so good luck to you, and uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks, Larry. Keep up the great work. <laughs>